There's something really curious about this broadcast. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, and we have main engine start. 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, and liftoff. This is TGP nominal. Commence episode now. All systems remain nominal. Nominal, nominal, Hello everybody and welcome to TGP Nominal, your monthly look at all things science facts and science fiction. Where you might have noticed there that I didn't actually say TGP Nominal Extra, which you would expect at the beginning of the month. The reason for that is we're changing things up a little bit. Basically we're going to have the Sky Guide as a normal TGP Nominal episode alongside our main TGP Nominal episodes and keep the TGP Nominal extras back for special occasions. Things that we can't fit into the show that needs to get out online. So that's what we're going to do with it. As I mentioned, this is a Sky Guide and obviously the Sky Guides are brought to us by Ross Hockham from UK Astronomy. How are you doing, sir? Fantastic. Part of the main show now. Yeah. How cool is that? I don't feel so much pressure now. It's not just me (laughs) (laughs) loads more to talk about yeah the reason why we've done this is it's been a little bit difficult lately to get everybody in the fold as it were hopefully that's going to change actually within the next few months because at the moment john is struggling because he's got two jobs on the go so he has to try and fit that in plus all the other bits and pieces that he's doing as well which makes it a bit difficult because as you've probably heard at the end of the show, John does have his own podcast as well. So it's not just TGP Nominal that he's got to get out. It's his home podcast. And then he's got live streaming that he does. And then he's building these Warframe weapons and a few other things that he does as well. So it's proving a bit difficult sometimes for John to come online. We did promise you last month that we were going to have a special guest coming on in January, but because of their workload, that wasn't possible. But hopefully we're going to get that done for February. The only problem with that is that February is a shorter month, so (laughs) that proves a little bit difficult. But it will happen, and that person will be hopefully our first inductee to the honorary crew member wall of the year so ross what's been going on with you we've actually been out teaching people can you believe it it's amazing (laughs) (laughs) we've actually been out i love it last month we taught a couple of schools one in Aylesbury. that was awesome it was actually one of our uh, astronomy mates daryl hood his wife said oh you come and teach our school i was like yes i will teach anyone now i've been bored sat in just looking at the skies myself so to go out and teach others is brilliant I'm trying to think what we did there's loads we had a meeting with Aylesbury Town Council to uh, try and ask for a grant that they do towards getting more gear because obviously now we're going out and about the gear that we've got in the van it's getting a little bit older now because we've been going about what five six seven years I think now some of the binoculars have been knocked and things so we're like can you help us get some money so we can get more gear so that more people can get hands on telescopes and things and go out and look up and they said yes pretty much <laughs> It's 8 o'clock on Bucks Radio. Time to download our app and take us with you on the move. This is Bucks Radio News. 
UK Astronomy have thanked Aylesbury Town Council for their £2,000 grant towards the work they do in the community. The Berks-based charity have said the money will go towards new gear for a mobile observatory, helping more people see the skies above. Here's Ross Hockham from the charity. I just want to say a massive thank you to Aylesbury Town Council. We applied for their community grant to go towards additional equipment so that more people can get hands-on telescopes, binoculars and other awesome gear to see the skies above them. Because for us as a charity run by volunteers, there's nothing like helping someone see a planet in the night sky, then popping a telescope on it and watching their face just light up as they look through, turn to us and say, wow, that is amazing. I never thought you could see that from here. Find more details on this story or any of our stories featured today on our website, Bugstart Radio. Your weather is on the way next after the national headlines. This is Bucks Radio. Let's go! first time i've actually heard that thank you for one embarrassing me <laughs> and two recording it because i had no idea and I would, i'd never have heard it so that's awesome it's something that we can uh, put in the the memories yeah so they gave us two thousand pounds which we should get soon hopefully which is amazing and then we're going to match fund that with our own funds from our outreach something i'm really excited about this, this is me going to be going geeky now you know like a monocle like patrick moore used to wear yeah it's kind of like that but there's two of them stuck together and you can put them on and it all it does is times your eyesight by two but to look up at the sky you can see the milky way and everything with them oh wow they're absolutely amazing so i'm going to get three pairs of them three or four i can't remember now <laughs> i've got a wish list which i'm going to be asking first light optics who were the guys who donated the telescope for the raffle they've said they might be able to help me out i said look i'll give you my wish list and then let me know what you can do for us <laughs> While people are waiting to go on telescopes, there's loads more that they can just grab and, you know, use. So, as you can tell, I'm really excited by that. So, yeah, so that's that's brilliant. And as I said, yeah, we talked to schools. I did a Cubs and a Scouts. I think it was two in a row. They gave me one of their, their badges, which is great. And they actually made a whole thing of it, stand, making me stand up at the front and actually presenting me with the badge, which, as a kid, I never had. So, that meant a lot to me. That was uh, Crown Hill, I think. They were really nice. So, I look forward to teaching them again, hopefully, in a few years. Went to the Space Store in Didcot. Mm-hmm. Love it there. Brilliant. The guys that like, arrange with guys and girls, I should really say, because I always meet with Kelly there. She's lovely. Had a jacket potato, <laughs> some food and stuff, and I actually uh, couldn't help myself because I sent you a picture, didn't I? I bought uh, a shuttle. Yeah. So it's a, uh, a Revel shuttle that you have to build yourself. So I do a little bit of modelling, so hopefully I'll be okay with it. You were a little bit anxious, weren't you? Because I said I'm going to, <laughs> I'm going to kind of deface it in a way. <laughs> I was... Uh... A little bit concerned that you were going to use Discovery because she was always my favourite of the space shuttle fleet. So it would, in my eyes, would have been dis- disrespectful. me. <laughs> well, it won't really matter because uh, I can just mix up the decals anyway so it can be a fictional one. I want to actually write spacecrafter on it and then have it on the van because I think that'd be quite cool. So that's just a little thing for myself that I found. But the uh, the reason we went to Space Store was because we chatted to them before COVID and everything. And obviously, you know, we do the photo competition every month, don't we? Yeah. And then yeah. we make a calendar for all the winners the winners have massive prints that we put up usually in a gallery so we've got about five or six years worth of these and I'm sitting there thinking they're not really doing anything they're kind of just sat in my garage safely so they don't get ruined or any damp gets to them in folders and things and I was like they're not really doing a lot Space Store were mentioning that they they really wanted some pictures and things up so I went look I'll bring all my pictures so we're not using them they've chosen the ones they really like so we have sent an email out to everyone first of all just to say are they okay to have their picture up there I mean it's obviously it's not for any money or anything we're not selling them it's just to go up in the space store so that people can come and have a look at them and say they're cool and uh, 
yeah so it's kind of like helps them out because they get free pictures so they're not spending out loads of money on frames and stuff and also you know work together they've all got the people's names on and the uh, uk astronomy sort of written on it as well so we're getting a little bit of advertising so if anyone wants to come along and see them and you know then go oh that's really cool you know how can i see this oh go to uk astronomy the charity oh brilliant or i'd like to get involved in the photo competition i really should get in touch with them actually at the, at the space store for the podcast i think oh massively, it'd be yeah. interesting talking to them but they're lovely we went in there had a sit down had a chat with them so yeah you should definitely get in contact with them because they are great and if you can get to the cotton go in it's awesome they've got vr systems so you put vr on you can look around space stations and things like that they've actually got astronaut suits as well they're obviously not real ones they're replicas but they are so good they're all made of metal and i put one on and i was like oh this is cool so yeah if you do get a moment you can see all our pictures and if you have been in the photo competition and you know you've won go and see your picture it might be there so whilst we're on the subject of photographs from uk astronomy group members one of your group members was actually featured on his local bbc news program he was yes peter coates He's one of our experts, isn't he, in the group? Yeah. He's really good. He knows what he's talking about. You know, I'm not the only one that gets on radios and stuff. I mean, I hate going on the radio and TV. It's not my... <laughs> I always get nervous. The wharf moon was clearly visible across East Yorkshire and Lincolnshire last night. Some managed to get some great photos and sent them to us, including Peter Coates from Beverly. Last night was called the wolf moon, which uh, is a Native American reference to the first moon of the year. It has no bearing on what the moon looks like as there are other named moons throughout the throughout the year. I take video clips of the moon um, and then stack them together to give a really clear image. Most of the time it is in the garden. I've been out, there's a few images I've got of across the westward. If there's a really nice backdrop it really does add to full moon images, sunrise images, anything. It's always good to get a picture of a full moon. I do prefer the different phases of the moon but any time that I can be out here staring up is, is great. So there you go. So it's not the first time that somebody's been on television or radio or I mean I know Will gets on the TV quite <laughs> regularly. Um, I can't remember who it was now but one of your guys uh, a couple of years back was on a quiz kind of thing on Radio 2. I think it was called something like Midnight Mastermind or something because yeah. it was on that at night. Yeah. The person whose specialist subject it is brings in questions for the host of the show to answer. Mm -hmm. I think that's how it works. Anyway, Gary from Mid Wales, uh, who spends his time up at night, what are you going to ask me? What's the specialist subject? Specialist subject is on the solar system. Oh, the solar system. That's pretty cool. So that's something you can do for your podcast. Yeah. I know you did the Christmas one, didn't you? That was yeah, that was a bit taxing. terrifying. I, I, I think I might be regretting that at, what, at some point because um, I get the feeling that John might turn around and say, "Right, I'm doing the quiz this year." Yeah, it's my turn. And, uh, See how much you know, Mark. <laughs> the Facebook group. There's always someone in there, isn't there? Still, like saying, "Oh, their picture was on the BBC or Sky at Night magazine and stuff like that." So it's awesome to see that the average people running around in the UK are actually getting their pictures on and getting spoken to and even myself I've had a photograph published in All About Space magazine oh yes I remember that was the moon wasn't it yeah yeah and if I can get a photograph published in a magazine anyone can because I'm not the greatest photographer that uh, ever lived so um, 
and there's some guys out there uh, you, you look at some of these photographs that get put up in the group and you think people need to see these photographs oh they're amazing aren't they that's for sure and the amount of time and effort as well that go into some of them when they say they've done like 300 five second subs of <laughs> you think wow that's like a whole night of <laughs> and then they've actually put it all together and done all the technical side to it i can't i can't do that side i'm just a looker <laughs> It's an artwork, isn't it, really? It is. It is a very specialist thing to be able to do. And sometimes there's a little bit of alchemy involved because sometimes it's not a case of, right, I've got it all set up and I'm definitely going to get this picture. It's the luck of the draw sometimes. It does take a lot of time and effort. So when these pictures get put up there, if someone just goes, yeah, that's great, you just got to think about, come on, look at the, the amount of effort that's gone into it and what these guys and girls are able to do. You know, from their own gardens and stuff. I mean, this used to be professionals could get pictures like this all Hubble. Oh, yeah. Now, yeah, nowadays, yeah, 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 yeah. Amateur astronomers out there getting amazing, even with their phones now. Some of the pictures, they've got Milky Ways and stuff. Mad. We had the flyover in the week from the space station. Oh, man, did you see them? Some of those pictures were unbelievable. How did they do that? I've, I've done it manually <laughs> with a video and tried to capture it and got a very slight one. How do they get this? It's almost like they're in space mm. getting a picture of it because you can see everything, can't you, really? So clear. And to think it's flying that fast and they've got to track it and that is not easy. That is not easy at all. There was one that actually stood out and I can't remember whose photograph it was, but I will find it in the group and I'll ask their permission to uh, put it in the show notes, but it's a beautiful shot. Yeah, stunning. Right, I think we're going to take a break there and then when we come back, um, along with the Sky Guide for February, we've got a few things to talk about. Some exciting news, possibly. Hi, I'm Matt Damon. I play astronaut Mark Watney in The Martian. In the story, my character is accidentally stranded on Mars. Sending people to Mars and returning them safely is the challenge of a generation. The whole world held its breath when the Curiosity rover landed in 2012. The boot prints of astronauts will follow those rover tracks, thanks to innovations happening today. NASA's journey to Mars begins on the International Space Station, some 250 miles overhead where we're learning how humans can thrive over long periods without gravity. Here at home, people are working across the country on the new Orion spacecraft and space launch system rocket that will carry astronauts farther than ever before. When we invent new technologies for exploration, it benefits all of humanity. But more than that, the journey to Mars will forever change our history books, rewriting what we know about the red planet and expanding a human presence deeper into the solar system. Follow NASA's journey to Mars at www.nasa.gov. On canvas with paint in the artist's school, it is red that is hot and blue that is cool. But in science we show, as the heat gets higher, a star will glow red like the coals of a fire. Raise the heat some more and what is in sight, behold, the star glows bright white, but the hottest of all, I say unto you, is neither red nor white when a star has turned blue. This is TGP Nominal. 
So welcome back to TGP Nominal. As I mentioned before the break, we have got the Sky Guide, which is, is coming up in a moment, but I've come across a, a scientific paper that uh, has only been released within the last few weeks, and it blew me away when I heard about this, and um, I mentioned it to you, <laughs> Ross. <laughs> um, now, the, the paper has got a, a very long-winded title it's called moons are planets scientific usefulness versus cultural teleology in the taxonomy of planetary science it's a very catchy title let's just call it is a moon a planet or is a planet a moon (laughs) (laughs) and i said to you do you want to have a look at this paper and you said yeah yeah okay let's have a look at it and you went blimey that's long (laughs) yeah we do have to add that this was the night before today doing the podcast (laughs) So I went, yeah, I'll have a little read of it. And then I looked at it and it's like 32 pages. And I was like, yeah, maybe not. And then you were like, do you want me to just give you a summary? Oh, yes, please. Yes, please. (laughs) Dumb it down for me. So basically, this is a paper that was published earlier this month. And it's got the internet very excited. Now, you're probably wondering why the internet has got excited about this paper. And it's all because it actually argued for a new, different definition of a planet that would see Pluto vindicated and reclassified as a planet. Well, you can tell with me. That was news to my ears. That just, oh, that was a great thing to hear. But it wouldn't just be Pluto that be classed as a planet. It would also see hundreds of objects in the solar system classified as a planet from our own moon to the moons of Jupiter and Saturn, etc. So how did this all start? Well, back in 2006, the International Astronomical Union voted on the specifics of the definition of a planet and had three criteria needed for the objects to be classified as a planet. So the first one, it would need to orbit the sun. The second criteria was that it had to be heavy enough so that gravity would be strong enough to turn it from a random shape into something spherical, which the technical term for this is hydrostatic equilibrium. The third criteria is that it can gravitationally clear its own orbit. Now, Pluto fell down at that third hurdle as it doesn't clear its own orbit, which leaves us with just eight planets in the solar system that was motivated by the fact that there were a lot of other pluto-like objects discovered on the edge of the solar system in a region known as the kuiper belt now the collaborators who published these new papers which included alan stern who was the principal investigator of the new horizons mission argued that the definition is wrong and if you understand the history of the use of the word planet you realize that the use of it to mean something that orbits the sun is not astronomical but astrological astronomers have called moons planets for centuries like the galilean moons of jupiter for example were first referred to as the galilean planets however astrology had stuck to calling the big six objects mercury to saturn planets for centuries simply because they put some special importance on things that orbited the sun because supposedly and i say that in inverted commas those were objects that had an influence on our lives as humans there's no scientific evidence in that whatsoever but the terminology of using the word planet to mean something that orbited the sun and the word moon to mean something that orbited another planet like our own moon 
came into common use in the public, even though astronomers weren't using that in their scientific papers. The paper published this month gives lots of examples of this, from Galileo in the 1600s all the way through to the 1900s. Unfortunately, there was a large gap between 1910 and 1955 where very little studies were done on the planets in the solar system, and that's because the astronomers got very distracted in the early 20th century when they discovered mind-blowing things like galaxies that were islands of stars in their own right, and the universe was expanding, and the best thing we had to explain its evolution was the Big Bang. But then the space race started, and we started sending missions to the likes of Mars and Venus, which meant planetary studies picked up again. But by that point, enough time had passed that astronomers that were coming in to do this planetary research and publishing all these new papers had grown up learning the public use of the word planet and moon, and not the scientific version of calling everything a planet that was used in the 18 and 1900s. And this is because they didn't have the guidance of the earlier generation of astronomers because they were no longer in the field some 50 odd years later. And this is what biased the International Astronomical Union's definition of a planet in 2006 and therefore wasn't scientifically motivated. These new papers state that the definition should be based on the nature of the object itself. Keeping the idea of the hydrostatic equilibrium so that gravity is heavy enough to turn a knobbly rock into a sphere, but not strong enough that nuclear fusion triggers turning it into a star. But also, you have some geological complexity in there as well. Things like volcanic activity, chemistry, an atmosphere, oceans, magnetic fields, or even tidal heating. No single planet in the solar system ticks all these boxes when you consider all those things. And it might be a little bit Earth-centric, because apart from tidal heating, Earth does tick all the rest of the boxes. This theory does get you to challenge your preconceptions of what a moon versus a planet, especially when you consider the fact that Jupiter's moon Ganymede and Saturn's moon Titan are actually bigger in size to the planet Mercury. At the end of the day, the moons of the solar system, especially of Jupiter and Saturn, can prove the most interesting in terms of the evolution of life. And some of these are the most volcanically reactive in the solar system as well, just like the activity we have here on Earth. So what makes them any different? Why should it matter if they've not technically been around Saturn or Jupiter? They're still technically orbiting the Sun too, it's just that they've been shepherded along by Jupiter and Saturn. So, if this was actually agreed upon, voted and accepted by the community, this would mean that the likes of Io, Enceladus, Ganymede and Titan would all be classed as planets. And in my eyes, this is the way. Especially if it means Pluto takes its rightful place as the ninth planet. I can't bring myself to say planets orbiting planets, but then you came up with the term and said, no, it's not moons, it's... Planetoid. Is it planetoid? Is that how you say it? Yeah, planetoid. So they'd be known as planetoids, not moons. I'm happy with that. I can I can go with that one. I mean, I'm all over Pluto being a planet because if you look at it compared to you know the other bits of rock and asteroids and stuff flying around, it looks like another planet, doesn't it? It looks like you know it's got the roundness of Mercury and stuff. And as you said about with Mercury, our moon's nearly the same size. The Galilean moons you said were bigger. So 
is that technically a planet? It could have it could have been a moon that got thrown out of orbit and caught on a sun. You look at the likes of Europa. It's an ocean. Yeah. So for me, that's not a moon. That's a planet. It's an ocean planet. Yeah. So a moon is dead, isn't it? Really? It's, it's a rock. rock. There's nothing going on really there. It's just a rock flying around space. But if it's round, does it make it a planetoid? A moon? What's the difference between just a rock and an asteroid? It depends on their makeup, doesn't mm. it? Really? Yeah. I think what it is is they put a blanket sort of not being horrible in any way because they're the experts but they have just put this blanket thing down haven't they and said does it do this yes does it do this yes does it do that no but now they've found more and more and more and more objects you have to almost classify them a bit more don't you not just say yeah. moon planet asteroid done and I think it's because of the fact that we got that close to Pluto and we saw all the, the geological features that were on it I mean there's ice there's mountains there's all kinds of bits and pieces on there that for me, doesn't classify it as anything other than a planet. I mean, there's probably more going on it than Mercury, isn't there? Oh, I think so. Mercury's technically nothing much goes there. It's just a oh, hot rock for core. The Jovian moons are fantastic. There's a lot going on with them. Well, if they weren't going around Jupiter, they would be classed as planets, wouldn't they? Yeah. Because of how they are and what's happening on them and... I mean, look at it, it's Titan, isn't it? Huge one. Well, obviously it's called Titan, so it is. <laughs> That's got tons going on as well, hasn't it? It's got like atmosphere and stuff and weird things going on. and It's similar to Earth, but not. <laughs> yeah, similar to Earth, but you'll die there. <laughs> so it has things going on, like clouds and stuff and water, but it's not water as we know it. I think they're doing the right thing. They definitely need to bring out new classification, don't they? Because I think it's... A little bit dated. Yeah, that's for sure. But it's good. It's made us debate it more, hasn't it? And it's been mentioned on different videos on YouTube. And that's where I picked it up because I didn't know anything about this paper. So I found the link to the paper and I read through it and I thought, wow, this is interesting stuff. And I thought, if this comes about, this is going to change everything about astronomy. <laughs> yeah. I feel sorry for the kids coming to school now. <laughs> It won't just be the nine, will it? If Pluto becomes a planet, bringing 300 of their mates with them. Mm. <laughs> Probably more now. But yeah, you're definitely going to have to get some more inflatables. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to take me a while, isn't it? But I don't think you need to mention all of them, though, do you? <laughs> no. I mean, only the major players. Yeah, it's the ones and, you and can see, isn't it? The more exciting ones. Yeah. I mean, as I, as I mentioned, Europa. They're planning to visit Europa, aren't they? Yeah. Within the next 10, 15 years. That would be an amazing place to visit. Imagine some of the close-up pictures and things like that. Yeah, well, they're thinking of some kind of submarine type I was going to say, yeah, they've got a helicopter working on Mars, now they're going to go the opposite way. Yeah, go underwater, well... But not as we know it, Jim. <laughs> yeah, if, if anywhere could have life, it's somewhere like that, isn't it? Yeah. Isn't it Enceladus that's got those plumes? Yeah, that, spraying off of them. Like the vents that are under the seabed, or on the seabed, should I say. And we could learn a lot from our own seas and oceans for looking for life on these um, liquid-based celestial objects, shall we call them at the moment, until we know exactly what to call them. Imagine if they could collect a bit of water and then bring it back. That would be good, wouldn't it? They'd have to really package it up well <laughs> because getting it back in uh, on re-entry might, be, it might, <laughs> yeah. might evaporate on re-entry. There was water in here, but it's all bubbled away. <laughs> But this is NASA. Well, I shouldn't say NASA. Now should I? I should say 
everyone. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, this is what I'm, I'm saying a lot of the time with NASA and ESA and the other agencies and universities and whoever else is involved are great at doing the research and bringing the stuff together. Leave it to the private sectors to actually launch them into space. So make your payloads and everything else that's needed fit on the rockets like SpaceX and Rocket Lab and Ariane or whoever and just do the science which is what you're best at. And also that means more of the funding can go on that. Oh yeah. So we'll get better technology going there and all they do is deliver it. So they don't have to worry about building these rockets and this is the problem with SLS. It's costing a hell of a lot of money. Yes, it is a rocket now. There is physically a rocket. There is one there. But before that, it was pretty much on paper Mm. and costing a lot of money. And we still haven't got to a bit where they've tested it yet. I mean, yes, they've tested the Orion capsule. Mm -hmm. But what they should have really done with that, in, in my opinion, before anybody says anything, is made Orion universal so that it could fit on all the major player rockets, have some kind of... Universal coupling or fitting. Yeah, some kind of coupling, yeah. Interesting. Maybe in the future. I think that is the way it will go. Yeah. We need to work together to make the future. I think we're getting there. I think we're getting there. I know with uh, private companies, they're always trying to kind of outdo each other, aren't they? But there's more to be done with working together than there is competing, mm-hmm. 100%. I know you get that competitive drive, which pushes things forward, but you can't beat everyone mucking in together and solving problems. There is kind of a second space race, as as it were, you know, private organisations competing against each other. Although there is a little bit of competition between some of the governments. I mean, you've got China, who's one of the the big players now. They suddenly started coming right up, haven't they? Like, landing on the other side of the moon and Mm -hmm. searching for... Well, they said they found water, didn't they? Uh, Yeah. They've also signed an agreement now that they're going to make another space station with Russia. Oh, fantastic. There you go. Another one in the sky for us to see. Sorry, astrophotographers, because I know they get in the way sometimes. But it depends where that's going to be. James Webb's reached its uh, position, and it's opened up a bit, hasn't it, from what I've heard? It's stretching itself and making sure it's in the right position. I like that. It's like it's almost kind of having a little stretch before it then gets to work. <laughs> yeah, which will be another at least six months before we yeah. see anything. You said it's got a cool right down, hasn't it? And Cool right down, yeah. Um, sort of like minus 500 odd degrees, so it's it's got to get really cold. There's a decent extra then. We can do a, a James Webb special when it actually sends back some pictures and stuff and talk about it. I have to do a bit of research into that because I'm not really into my rockets and stuff. <laughs> Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of TGP Nominal and its infinite mission to explore space, science, and technology news. To explore the world of sci fi, comic cons, and gaming. To boldly go where no podcast has gone before. Now, Ross. What have you got for February? Unfortunately for some, but great for others. It's Valentine's, isn't it? It's the month of lovers and all that sort of thing. Although it's kind of changed completely, because in my day when I was a kid, it was you wrote an anonymous letter to a girl you liked and never got a reply. Or <laughs> Well, you wouldn't, because they didn't know who you are. They have to try and guess 
St. Valentine has turned into the patron saint of card merchandise. Yeah, <laughs> cards and roses. and Anyway, we're not here to talk about that. <laughs> well, we are a little bit. But yeah, so there's going to be a little bit of that sort of uh, thrown in there, just for fun. First of all, let's talk about the planets. At the beginning of the month, the moon is out of the way, so it's a great time to search the skies for sort of galaxies, nebulas, dimmer sights, and all that sort of stuff pop away from a town or a city you should get some nice dark skies before you know the moon starts coming up and in the way but venus mars mercury are up none of the planets really at the moment are that great but in the morning you do get a really nice view hopefully if it's clear because you as I said you have a really nice bright venus mars and mercury all rising in the morning sky from around about 6 a.m venus obviously being a lovely bright morning object which for a telescope will look like a sort of crescent and throughout the month it will slowly start getting fuller and fuller and fuller. Gets to about a half phase by the end of the month, so you'll see it go from a crescent to a half phase slowly as it orbits the sun. So that's a really cool thing. There's a few dates coming up for that when you can see them. Saturn unfortunately now kind of sets as the sun does, so we're not going to see it for a while. But that's good because it gives us time to miss it so that when it comes back again in like probably about six to nine months, something like that, we'll then be like, oh yeah, Saturn's back. Awesome. We can talk about that. Jupiter's still up. Still really bright in the evening sky now. Great to see by eye, can't miss it. Although it's not really greatly placed, we're quite far away from it now. So, I mean, we're far away from it normally, but we're sweeping back out the way of it. So, for scope viewing, it's okay. You can see it, you can see the gas lines and the moon still, or planetoids as we should call them soon, hopefully. Around about 6.30pm it sets, so you haven't really got that much time to see it. Uranus is up. <laughs> It's really nice and it's high between Aries and Cetus, which are the constellations. Again, it's in the kind of area with no real bright stars, so it's going to be a bit of a challenge to actually spot and find it with a telescope. It's probably your best bet at the moment because that is up most of the night. It's the only planet that really is up. Neptune's there. That again is in a kind of no man's land between Pisces and Aquarius. Can still be seen with a telescope, but that again sets around about 8pm. So really the only good planet that you can look at and try and find is Uranus at the moment. Right, moving on to actual dates. We're going to be talking about a few minor planets, which just happily coincides with the whole Bluto thing that we were just talking about by some kind of fluke. So on the 5th, we've got Massilia. It's a minor planet. It reaches opposition in the constellation of Cancer. It's a stony asteroid, and it's the parent body of the Massilia family of asteroids. So there's like a whole family there, so it's obviously the biggest one of that family. They're located in the inner region of the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter. It's roughly about 90 miles in diameter, so it might be a challenge to find because as we know when we're looking at minor planets and asteroids and stuff, they are really just a white dot in relation to all the other stars and move throughout the month or the night. This one is going to be to the left of the star Akibans. It's then going to start creeping slowly towards the Beehive Cluster as the month goes on. I don't think it actually goes really close to the Beehive Cluster, which is right in the middle of Cancer, the crab but it is going to slowly sweep up towards it, so you might be able to see it going up there. On the 6th, the last podcast, we spoke about a uh, lava plane that you could see on the moon's very edge. I believe it was Mare Orientale. Tonight, we're actually going to look on the other side of the moon. So we're not looking where the Mare Orientale is. The other side of the moon on its eastern edge. There's two there. There's Mare Smithy and Marginis. I hope I'm saying them right. I quite like Smithy. S-M-Y-T-H-I-I. Could be Smithy. They're known as the Liberation Seas, as you can only really see them at certain points when the moon's natural wobble as it goes around the Earth and orbits kind of brings that edge out. So last time it was the other side that kind of wobbled out for us to see. This time it's this side, so hopefully you can see those two mare there. Quite good to see. Moving on to the next day, so the 7th. 
and it's an evening moon. It sits close to the planet Uranus, so it's a good time to spot where the actual planet is. The moon is going to be about 43% lit, so it may wash the planet out a bit. So it might not be the best time to see it, but it'll give you a relation to where that actual planet is in the sky for maybe for you to look later on. With a telescope, you should be able to spot it just above the moon. There is a star called 29 Aratus, so it's 2 o'clock. So you can use that star to then find the planet. It will be slightly bottom left to that star. And I believe, looking for a telescope, if you actually have the planet there, there is another star quite close to it, around about it's 11 o'clock if you're through a telescope. So happy hunting for that. Again, use Stellarium or something like that, an app, which will help you show you know exactly where Uranus is. On the 8th, tonight you're going to be able to see the lunar X and V, something easier to see, across the Terminator. I'll be back. Which is where the light and the dark part meet on the moon. It's either like sunset or sunrise, depending on which way it's going, waxing or waning. And this creates an illusion off of the tips of the craters, creating an X and a V. Which is really cool to try and find and see, get the kids to have a look and see if you can find it. I'm not sure if it's visible with binoculars, you may be able to, but a telescope, definitely. Pop out and have a look, you can get pictures of it as well, they come out really well. Now on the 10th we've got another minor planet, and this one reaches opposition tonight. This one's a little bit dimmer, so I believe the other one was about 8 magnitude. I think this one's about 10, so I mean with these you probably are going to need a telescope anyway. And this is 11 Parthenope, and it's a large bright main asteroid again. It's going to be located in Leo, there seems to be a few, the asteroid sort of clumps seem to be around Leo at the moment, around there. So you might actually see more little white dots all around the place because you'll see it's an asteroid belt. While you're here, see if you can spot the Sickle Asterism, which is part of the constellation of main stars in Leo. It's kind of like the head of the lion that makes like a sickle of stars in the sky. Something you can see with the naked eye for fun while you're trying to hunt for the asteroid. Again, the asteroid's going to be in the middle, well, minor planet, should I say, not asteroid. This again is going to be in the middle of Leo and Cancer, so it's in between the two. So a bit of star hopping again and searching will be in order. This one as well slowly curves up towards Cancer throughout the month as it goes through, just like the other one does. So, you know, if you don't spot one, you might see another there, or there might be a few more you could see as they go. Moving on to the 14th. Well, today is Valentine's Day, so there are a few special things that you can see in the sky that hopefully will wow your loved one, but I'm going to speak about that because they're all part of our objects of the month at the end. So remember this date because you'll be in trouble if you don't. 16th, Mercury reaches its greatest western elongation, so it's up in the morning. It's rising about an hour before the sun, so again, be careful trying to spot it. Don't look at the sun, it's not good for you. You will need a low horizon, and you'll notice that while you're there, Venus and Mars will be popping up first. Can't miss Venus, really bright. And then it's going to slowly make a faint sort of morning triangle with the planet Mercury being to the far left. So you're going to have like Venus at the top, Mars slightly bottom right, and then Mercury hopefully further to the left. So you've got a little triangle of planets in the morning. If you stay up throughout the day, which you should do, in the evening, you've got a uh, lovely nice full moon and it's rising up sort of around 5 p.m. So if you take the dogs out for a walk or you've just finished work, go out, have a little stroll, see the full moon rising up above the horizon. As we know, it's always really cool to see that. We really like it. So I always mention when the full moon's up. And uh, as Peter Coates said, the last one was the wolf moon because I believe that in uh, America, the wolves used to howl because it was coming to their sort of mating season. And that's why it was called that. So why not Google this one and find out what it's you know all about? On the 18th, we've got a morning Venus and Mars again. They're not going to be far from each other. They kind of slowly got closer as the month's gone by. Venus again, really nice and bright. Can't miss it in the southeast. There's going to be a slightly fainter red Mars below it. Be careful not to mistake the red star Antares because 
it is often mistaken as the red planet, but that will be a lot further to the right. So you might be able to see that star as well. 25th, last minor planet for you to see if you can glimpse. It's opposition tonight. Again, it's in Leo. They all seem to be bunched around this area. And it's 471 Papagena, which is named after a character in Mozart's opera, which I have probably said wrong. So I apologise if anyone's into Mozart. It's located on the other side of the constellation this time. So the other two are kind of to the right in between Cancer and Leo. This one's actually to the left of Leo. And again, it is going to be sweeping up towards Leo as it goes. As you know, these things are quite hard to explain where they are because they move every night and they sweep throughout the month. So in the notes here and on our website at UK Astronomy, we'll have slides and pictures there for you to actually be able to see where they are hopefully as the month goes on. So don't worry too much about that. It's just me letting you know that they are there and hopefully you might be able to spot one or two. Now, last but not least, the 27th, there's a lovely morning grouping of Mars, Venus and the Moon. So you might get Mercury pop up there as well if you're really lucky you're definitely going to get those three. So it's going to be a lovely thin crescent moon. They'll be kind of grazing the horizon as it rises with the red planet above it and the goddess of beauty shining above that. It's sort of like a diagonal line of moon, Mars and Venus. So it's a lovely thing to wake up to, have a coffee, look out your window and see in the sky. Now we're moving on to the objects of the month. Now I've gone for a strange one for the naked eye object because usually I'd go for something big and you know really bright that you can see like stars or asterisms or things like that. So I thought I was going to go for a bit of a challenge for you guys, as I know that a lot of you might not have telescopes or binoculars and probably haven't actually seen this object yourself. So for me, it'll be quite interesting to see how many of you can actually spot it in the skies. And this is the Andromeda Galaxy. It's nice and high at the moment. It's looking really cool. It's a barred spiral galaxy and it's around about 2.5 million light years from Earth. So it's quite far away. It's the nearest big galaxy to the Milky Way. So my thought was, if you guys pop out, to maybe a darker sky, as I said, a few minutes away from any towns will also you know, give you a lot more light pollution dimming down, so it'd be good. Have a look up. Can you actually possibly see it in the sky? I have seen it. I live in Milton Keynes, which is quite light polluted. I go about 10, 15 minutes out and you can see it by eye. So I'd like to see if you guys can actually see this sort of like white smudge in the sky. And if you can, what it means is you are actually seeing a galaxy 2.5 million light years away which is probably one of the farthest things you'll ever see with just using your eyes. So it's a really cool thing to actually sit there and think, wow, I'm looking at a galaxy and that light has taken 2.5 million light years to reach Earth and I'm now seeing it. So I'd love to see if you guys can go out and see it. It can be found just above the constellation's main star, Mirac. So go to the Andromeda constellation, find Mirac, its main star in the middle, and there'll be a faint line of stars towards the galaxy from that constellation. There is a line up it if you go on Stellarium and it will show you the line that goes up and the galaxy is right there. So happy hunting and you know it'd be cool to see if you can actually see that thing 2.5 million light years away with just your eyes. Now a binocular object, this is where unfortunately for those uh, who haven't got any lovers at the moment or partners, you can you know hold your ears, but there is a diamond ring asterism that you can see with binoculars and it's in Ursa Minor for those astronomers that are perhaps looking to propose to their loved ones this month, grab a pair of binoculars, hover them over Polaris, the North Star, and here you should be able to make out a ring of stars. It's not a perfect ring. I think there's a slight little indentation where someone's obviously dropped it or something. The ring's one of the stars is up slightly. But it does actually look like a ring with Polaris as the diamond on the top. Get the binoculars on. Have a look at that star there. What can you see? Does it look like a sort of diamond ring? And then, you know, go on your knees, 
careful in the dark and pop out your diamond ring and then propose. Just an idea. <laughs> if you do do that, feel free to put it into the Facebook group or let me know. So that's really cool to see. So you've got like a diamond asterism, diamond ring. I quite like that one. So that always goes on there for February. Now, usually with a telescope object, I say zoom in, zoom in, zoom in and find this small thing. We're going to do the opposite this time because what we're going to do is we're going to look for the constellation Perseus and right in the heart of the constellation is the star Merfac. And if you grab a nice wide eyepiece instead of a zoom in one, so say about 25mm to maybe 42mm, so you're actually kind of getting a bigger field of view and zooming out a bit, or if you have a 2 inch adapter so you can put a 2 inch eyepiece in, that will look even better because the standard eyepiece is 1.25 inches, but some like Dobsonians you can get a 2 inch that goes in there and they're really cool. Now around this star lie just like a host of others, all born from the same cloud of gas and dust some sort of 30 to 50 million years ago, which looks absolutely awesome as you move through the star field with your telescope. So what you're going to do is pop it on Murfak and then just move around and just see how many stars you can see there and think they're all born in the same sort of nebula and globular dust and stuff that was all there. So that's something different that you can actually have a look at and look for an actual star field in Perseus. Now onto the astrophotography object, which as we know Mark, I'm not really uh, an expert in in any way, but I thought, you know, let's have a go at this one today. And it has to be, because it's February, just above the constellation Cassiopeia, the Vane Queen, which is the W in the sky, or the sideways W, depending where it is, are a couple of really awesome nebula that you can get together or separately, and that is the Heart and the Soul Nebula. It's romantic, Heart and Soul, really cool. They're emission nebula, and they're located about 7,500 and 6,500 light years away in the Cassiopeia constellation. So they are still part of Cassiopeia, even though they're kind of higher up from it. It's the cosmic gas that forms the nebula. It's actually glowing itself rather than reflecting starlight. So they are usually they're kind of like illuminated by stars, but this, these ones are different. They're actually kind of illuminated themselves and carved by powerful streams of charged particles emanating from like an open cluster of stars. So they're actually glowing themselves still at the moment, which I thought was really cool. So uh, yeah, go there. Let us know how you got them, you know, and the processing you did so that others can learn. And you know, can imagine if you go take a picture of this, you've got a bit of time now, you've got a few days, hopefully. Get a really nice picture of it, bring it all out, and maybe you can give it to your loved one for Valentine's Day, your own heart and soul. And that is pretty much everything for the month, hopefully. Awesome. Now, you mentioned there, heart and soul, and uh, what came to me when you said that was uh, it was a song by uh, a band called Tapau. Who was named after a character from Star Trek. Ah. <laughs> I think I'd recognise the name now. I don't really know Star Trek that well. I only know the really the films that came out recently. Mm -hmm. Hopefully they're making a fourth one from Simon Pegg is kind of hinting at what I've seen on Google popping up in my feed. <laughs> I hope they do because I really enjoyed them. I thought they were good. Spanhead Productions are a small independent sound recording company based in rural Hertfordshire. We specialise in creating content for all your podcasting needs, whether it be field recordings, fox pops, or capturing the atmosphere during social events. Editing is a very time-consuming job, so Spanhead Productions are on hand to take away some of the burden for you. Just advise us on how you'd like your content to sound, and we will do the rest. We can even help you design and manage a website for your podcast too. Visit us now, spanheadproductions.com. Weebly.com. That's spamheadproductions.weebly.com. So, Ross, 
thanks again for coming back on TGP Nominal, actually, rather than TGP Nominal yeah, Extra. You said it then, didn't you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> extra is special, Ross isn't. <laughs> As I say, the extra episodes will be extra episodes, extra bits that needed to be aired before the next full episode because it's time specific or if you didn't know about it then you'd miss it, that kind of thing. Or exciting news. We will hopefully have another TGP nominal episode before the end of February, but it does depend on whether I can get people together being as it's a short month as well. So as I always like to say, thanks for listening. Take care one and all, and we'll speak to you again real soon. Clear skies, guys. Remember, there's a billion worlds in your back garden. Well, that about wraps it up for this episode of TGP Nominal. If you want to get in touch with us, then... Send an email to garbagepod at virginmedia.com, where your input is our output. Or click the social media icons at the top left of the page over at tgpnominal.weebly.com. If you would like to subscribe to any of our podcasts, you can do so via iTunes, the RSS feed, and also Stitcher and TuneIn On Demand Radio. And you can listen to me going solo, bringing you the latest in movies and home theater for regular people in the Widescreen podcast over at widescreen.org. Don't forget to rate and review us. If you like what we're doing here, then why not buy us a pint by clicking on the donate button on any of the podcast pages. And don't forget to spread the word about us. Station, this is Houston ACR. Thank you. That concludes the event.